It's a cool show. Hey guys, Jessa here with our upcoming tour dates and mispronunciation of words. On September 27th, we're going to be in San Diego at Martinis Above Fourth. On October 4th, we're going to be in Indianapolis at Black Circle Brewing. On October 5th, we're going to be outside of Detroit in Hamtramck, Michigan at Planet Ant Black Box. Thank you, Nick Gumina, for giving me the correct pronunciation of that because I definitely was going to call it Hamtrack. On October 6th, we will be in Chicago, finally, at North Bar. Most of these can be found on our website, mormonandthemethhead.com. He writes the show intros. She cackles throughout them. You're listening <laughs> to Mormon and the Meth Head. If you put a Mormon and a Meth Head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron would all just so read our friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. I just don't understand the, uh, the 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 selling point of this pizza place. They just they 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 keep saying, "Oh, you can you can make a pizza any way you want." <laughs> Why, Why do you hate make this it, fucking can, company so much? It's just as it, they, you don't they're, like act, their they're acting like like they have no they have never been to another pizza place. <laughs> this, this is all their signs say like, "Oh, Blaze Pizza, you can make you can make your own pizza." Literally any pizza place will let you make your own pizza. Yeah. You don't you you're never forced in you can walk into any pizza place and be and ask for the specific toppings you want. This is kind of the premise of pizza. But you don't get to watch the employees like finger bang your pepperoni out of uh, a cold pan. I mean you can. Do you want you can go to Papa John's and just watch them make your pizza? <laughs> They're not stopping you. There's not like behind closed doors making your pizza. Okay, you can just stand well, yeah. there and watch okay. it. Okay, so you can also just go peek in your neighbor's blinds and watch them fuck, but it's better. <laughs> no, you can't. That's illegal. You will not be allowed to do that. <laughs> Such a good point in my head. Or you can go to a swingers club where it's okay. I am what? No, no, this is This is this it's like it's like a Cineplex being like, you can pick the movie that you watch. You can pick pick whatever movie of all the movies that we have to choose from. You can pick which one you like. Great, man. Wow, this is really innovative. Uh, you guys are changing the way that I eat pizza. I used to just have to eat whatever. They, the pizzaiola forced me. Just like the, the uh, a pizza Nazi. It's just like, nope, this one's supreme. This is what it is. It's what you get. Oh, I think... I haven't been in there. I did see the signs that say that was the pizza place that I was like, I heard this is really good was a blaze pizza. But um, 
so what do they do at like a like a Chipotle where you you slide down and say yeah. I want this unless I want I've this. been in unless I've been in a wrong unless I'm confusing two different pizza chains and I would hate to besmirch the name of of Blaze Pizza <laughs> but yeah it's just like a Chipotle they you got options like you can have this kind you can have red sauce or white sauce or no sauce <laughs> The exact same <laughs> options available to you at any pizzeria. Hmm, okay. Uh, and then the, all the toppings that you can that you can pick from, you know. And then you just you can put these kind of cheeses, or you can put that. You can put this. You can put that. Hmm. And uh, I would hate that. Uh, be, just I don't like. Uh, it's the same thing at all those taco places where they do that mm-hmm. because I just want steak and lettuce. I don't want anything else, but they can't. And that's what you want on your pizza as well. Wrap the- I would like a pizza. <laughs> no sauce. I would like. I would like it to be gluten free, uh, and just steak and lettuce on top. <laughs> oh, that's gross. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, what's your What's your jam again? Pepperoni, pineapple. No cheese. Yeah, no cheese. Pepperoni, pineapple, and mushroom. Nice. Nice. You can and say have you, it now have you been able it for me. have you been able to uh get that pizza at places other than blaze pizza <laughs> as i mean like that's a has anyone been able to allow you to make yeah, yeah. that affront to <laughs> <laughs> um uh. yeah so i think they just walk you through and i don't I don't like any of this. When I used to eat Subway, which I wouldn't now, but same thing. I only wanted lettuce and cheese. Or- <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> Would you order steak and lettuce from no, Subway? No, ham, ham and cheese. But you ham don't even eat bread. Do they have gluten-free Back bread? Back then, when I ate... So oh, that's what I mean, oh okay. I sorry, Subway. sorry, sorry. I thought you were going into Subway just to get the toppings. <laughs> <laughs> I would like some cold cuts. <laughs> And some spinach, please. Put it in a bag. Just put it in one of those long skinny bags and walk out with it. Lettuce. No, fuck. I keep saying lettuce. Ham and cheese. That's it. But then the person is like programmed to, to be you. like mayonnaise. No. Oil. No. Lettuce. No. Olives. No. Or whatever the fuck. They and put. you're like, please do not prolong any sort of human interaction. <laughs> I was not prepared. I just I, I have calculated my words. To be as concise as possible, oh so God. that I can just go back uh, into my car and uh, and forget that that all of you six billion people exist. <laughs> I like people. I'm so bad at it. Well, I feel warmed up now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm feeling okay. When was the last time you saw a therapist? I saw my therapist. The only therapist I ever saw outside of a mental hospital was when I was 14. My guidance counselor called my parents and told her, told them I was acting provocatively. And they started taking me to a therapist. And uh, I immediately loved her. I loved having an audience. But I immediately, like, there was so much going on in my head. She understood me quickly. She told my parents to unground me. Nice. In the first meeting. It's a tight therapist. I think like back then they grounded you for too long. Like that you would get, I would get like indefinitely on both coasts, both sets of parents indefinitely grounded, which there's like a, a finite amount of time where grounding a kid is productive. And after that, it's just induces depression. 
So she got me ungrounded and then gave me a place to work through a bunch of shit. And then for some reason, I was not going to therapy anymore. I got a lot better. And for some reason, I was not going to therapy anymore. And right after my last session with her is when I started acting out and got put in the mental hospital. And then I saw her until I left. Then I went in and out of the mental hospital and saw her in between until I left Delaware. And then I I didn't have a therapist again, hmm. which is weird because I feel like I think like someone who's been through a lot of therapy. But yeah, you do. You you seem like you've got a lot of tools uh, and stuff that a lot of people learn from or learn in therapy. Yeah. Well, there's a ton of stuff that like we end up talking about or somebody says, like, have you ever heard of this? A lot of it is stuff I got from the aliens and then I find out that it's a practice in psychology. The thing we talked about the other day, flooding. That's how I process shit. Like, that's how I... That's how flooding. Not to be confused with soaking, yeah, which we also talked about the similar. other day. It does sound like... Uh, the fun version some, yeah, of soaking. This. <laughs> uh, flooding. It's we, pee. It's pee? <laughs> no. Uh... uh I was going to say it's when you uh, collect two of every single animal and uh, <laughs> put them all inside your pussy. <laughs> uh, you don't lose your virginity if you only put animals in there. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I don't know what it was about that that made me really picture it. <laughs> I know. I was like, yours was a little bit more graphic. It was. So early on in my awakening, the aliens, God, people would just give me houses. I had so many fucking cool houses when I was on meth, but these guys let us live in this, uh, a, it had been in like an adult foster care home. Like everyone had their own bedroom and bathroom. There was like eight bedrooms and it was just all tweakers moved in. Anyway, so all of the, I was obsessed with reflective material when I first came back from uh, the blue ball of light. I was obsessed with anything that looked like a star. So there was foil tape everywhere and shiny things and mirrors were very big. And so there were glass, there were um, sliding doors on all the closets, but they were mirrors. They were gigantic. And I had stolen them out of everyone's room and had filled my room. So my room was basically a circle of mirrors, like a half circle of mirrors. And one night I did acid and went into the my room alone with the aliens, didn't hang out with anyone else. And they had me sit like Indian style on the floor and stare into the mirrors and then just images were projected on the mirrors. And I had to just let all of these things that I was afraid of, but afraid of on a very like surface level, not like intimacy or rejection, but like spiders spiders is the one i remember because there was like a couple spiders i was super freaked out by spiders back then a couple spiders and then just a sea of spiders and then a giant one coming up like after i would and then i would have to look at this image until until i had no reaction to it till i wasn't recoiling till i wasn't uh, my heart wasn't racing till i was just desensitized to it this sounds like batman begins do you mean the, the like the the that that ritual that Ra's al Ghul had, like they would, they did like 
smelled the blue flower and it caused them to hallucinate the things that they feared the most. No, I think maybe right. I didn't see that Batman. Oh, this that's like the 2005. That's like the first oh, yeah, I of, the, of the Chris, of the Chris Nolan, uh, Christian Bale Batman. Oh, yeah. um, but it's because Batman uh, adopts the symbol uh, of what he fears. Like he was afraid of bats as a kid. Right. Right. Which symbolized way more about like his parents and stuff. But still he was he was scared of bats. And then flooded himself with bats like you know then he goes and lives in a bat cave he then dresses up as a bat and he says and in in that movie he says now my enemies share my dread like now they're they're afraid of the thing that i was afraid of and i'm not afraid of bats anymore right so anyway that's that's what it sounds like except with spiders interesting i'll have to think about the enemies thing um (laughs) yeah so it was like a couple spiders it was like a car coming at me you know, mm. that looked like it was going to hit me. And I can't remember a lot of it, but it was stuff like that. It was very, like, physical, somewhat like a gunshot, stuff like that. Like, physical death stuff. Mm. And then the spider one I remember was big because there was a one spider and it was, like, this scary, like, arachnophobia-looking, like, sea of spiders. And then once I was calm, there was a spider that was the size of a, you know, a car coming up from behind me. And mm-hmm. I just, and that, that's the one that really sticks up is seeing this thing come up from behind me. And I just did like coming over top of my head and I just didn't, by then I was like, that was the last thing I remember from that day. And I guess that's when I adopted that as a way to deal with anything I'm afraid of mm-hmm. or anything that's standing in my way. So I mean, I guess to a certain extent, because jealousy is one of uh, like an example of something that I talk about all the time, like is a is a program that I actively fight against. And when I was getting cheated on, I can't tell if that was just a paradigm shift. But when I was getting cheated on in my husband in my first marriage, uh, I wouldn't stop thinking about it. I would force myself to imagine it over and over and over again. But I think part of that is the paradigm shift of finding out you've been cheated on when a new piece of the puzzle gets added to your reality, your mind runs that in a loop over and over again until you've like relived every memory with this new piece of information and been like, oh, that must have been why this was that. Oh, that must have been oh, why this right. is that. So the paradigm shift of getting cheated on is a, is a fucking... Is and that a, sounds less healthy. Is that, was, is that productive? I don't... It's a, it's a mechanism you can't control. Hmm. So I'm trying to think of other examples of... That's my favorite example of a paradigm shift. But when you wake up and you find out like that reality isn't real or whatever, your mind does a similar paradigm shift where it wants to uh, adjust every memory with this new piece of information. So I think anything where you find out that things weren't what you thought they were. Oh, I'm sure you had a paradigm shift when you left Mormonism where your mind was just, okay, well, then what about this? Okay, then what about this? Oh, here's this memory. So what is this? What is this? But it's like Mm -hmm. you can't stop it. You know, yeah, if you remove that piece that like that defined everything, like this happened because the church is true, right? Yeah. Uh, I got this job because I prayed for it and God gave it to me, you know, or like I was, you know, then you go back and, and go, okay, well, if that piece isn't true anymore, then why did that happen? What yeah. was the reason behind this? What was the purpose of that? I think that makes sense. So there in the background wasn't... For me, it was not It was not something I could fix. It, with getting cheated on, it's like, especially if other people knew about it, 
then all of a sudden mm. your your mind is it feels like everyone knows about it when you find when you get cheated on it feels like you were a giant fool everyone was laughing at you and uh you were the only one that didn't know and so if you find out that people did know about it then then your brain wants to go back and relive every memory with that person and be like uh oh that explains this that explains this that explains this and it doesn't it's not like a voluntary mechanism at all so i did do that with getting cheated on but after the after the mirror thing and i came out of that feeling so strong and so powerful i became that is the way that i deal with things if i feel afraid of loss so i've done this uh with you i've done this there was a point where i felt like atta like attached to you in a way that wasn't benefiting anybody and i forced myself to process it i've been too attached to my kids i've been attached to my kids in a way that i feared their death so constantly that it made me crazy it made me a, not a good parent not the kind of parent that i believe in being and so i forced that was almost involuntary but i i remember laying in bed and forcing myself to play the tape forward of their death and me surviving it and me getting to the point where I realized that uh, and acknowledged that everything happened as exactly as it was supposed to happen and that death is not real and that death doesn't suddenly become real because it's my kid and because I'm attached to them. And uh, so that is how when I when I am feeling pain, that is how I deal with it. I force myself to face the thing that I'm afraid of, play the tape forward of me losing the thing that I'm attached to until I no longer am attached to it. And it has no power over you. You're right. not afraid of it anymore. But you would never call that flooding until I was having this conversation yeah. with another uh, comedian who then tells me about the psychological phenomenon of flooding. That's something uh, people do that psychologists recommend to get over certain things. Like he was talking about, I think Maria Bamford, I can't remember what it's called now, but some sort of like, like involuntary thought syndrome, like some sort of, some sort of condition that, that thoughts pop up into your head that really aren't yours. Right. But you get the urge to do something awful, like murder someone or, or something. Or, uh, when you like are on, on a bridge, you know, I think this is maybe something that more people could relate to. And suddenly you just think about, what if I jumped off? Right. What if I jumped off right now? And you're not really suicidal, but there's something there that's pushing you to it. Anyway, and he was saying Maria talked about how her therapist had introduced her to this idea of flooding, where you, th where she would think about these terrible thoughts that she had. And rather than being like embarrassed that she had them and then, and then letting that shame build up, because then you tell yourself like, oh my God, I'm such a bad person because I had that thought. Right. Uh, the therapist said, think about that thought, think about it and think about it and think about it until it's ridiculous. Like really get down to it. Are you going to murder the the cashier? Uh, right. uh, are you really going to do, how would you do it? How, you know, and think about how ridiculous this plan is and like what would have to uh, conspire in order for you to go through with that. And you realize that it's crazy. And then that helps you laugh about it. 
and uh, and and let go of it. I think it it came up in conversation because we were talking about politics. Yeah, which is uh, what first made me uh, talk to you about that because they were talking about the this current administration and how ridiculous it's getting and how it's showing people how ridiculous politics have always been. You right. know, uh, which is something that we've talked about. Yeah, uh, that's my on, take on it. Uh huh. That it so that we are being flooded right now with. A ridiculousness from this administration and that it's helping people see uh, how silly it was to be afraid in the first place and help people see how uh, little uh, a president actually means for, you know, right. uh, rather than uh, being like, oh, my God, the Antichrist has won the election. And what are we going to do? Our country is going to be ruined. Uh, and then you realize, like, oh, no. It doesn't really doesn't really matter that much. Yeah, and they were uh, getting uh, the the government was getting way too much power, and I think in the end, this stupid ass administration will have taken so much power away from the government. I am really looking forward to how I think it will play out. Hmm. I think I talk a lot about. I don't think I've ever talked on the podcast about it, but this idea of like safe spaces, which in comedy they're safe space rooms. You can't talk about anything triggering. And there are some that are so extreme that you can't talk about your own weight, your own experience with your own weight because it's triggering to people about weight. And I, I like the word trigger. I think it's, it's, a, it's a powerful description for something that I, I, I love that we are tuning in so much to our own psyches that we're realizing that that thing that pops up inside of you is a trigger. I love that. I Me love too. how self-aware that is. I love that this entire generation is self-aware. I do not think the trigger means run from that. I think the trigger is a bright shining light on something that it's time to work on i love when i get triggered i'm like oh okay well what is this let's look into this and i don't like i love safe i love the idea of safe spaces as a place to create an environment for people different than us for us to learn about them i hate the idea of safe spaces as a place to run from your trauma do not run from your trauma. Do not run from your triggers. Get get triggered and then get to the bottom of it because you can't you can't fucking hide from your trauma. You can't you can't hide from your pain. Mm -hmm. I use I use waves oddly enough as one description like going out into the ocean and a big wave is coming. If you try to run away from it, you're going to get pummeled. But if you just ride it. It's going to be uh, possibly painful, but it's going to be exciting and you're going to get to the other end. When I, when my teeth were falling out, probably the worst pain I've ever experienced in my life, and it went on and on for years, I would go into a room by myself and close my eyes and just feel the pain. Not try to run from the pain. You can't run from fucking tooth pain. There's not a drug on the planet unless you want to bang heroin. Uh, I would close my eyes and think about the pain and what color is the pain? What shape is the pain? If the pain is sitting in this room right now, what does it look like? What is it doing? And you just kind of like, you take it from this, this thing that's torturing you and you just turn it into this, this fucking concept, this abstract concept and your relationship with it totally changes. And then I would take the pain and I would move it to the part of my brain where sex exists because you can you can tolerate so much pain during sex, good sex, 
mm-hmm. um, because there's uh, like pain can exist in that part, like that category of reason in your mind, like like pain could exist there. And then I would experience the tooth pain as sex pain. And so it would just end up being hot instead of excruciating pain. But that would take so much. Is that why you masturbated the dentist? <laughs> I don't go to the dentist. <laughs> um, I would need space to myself to get like in my mind and do that. But after a while, like after a couple years, it got to the point where my brain just did that automatically. And I stopped experiencing pain. But but your instinct is to run. Like your instinct is to fall apart and to run and try to escape this pain. And that is our relationship with pain in general. This is why I decided to have kids without drugs. And it was the it was this it's the same process where you're in labor, it feels like you're gonna die. I don't even know how to describe it. The pain is so intense that you are like, Yeah, I'm definitely gonna die. My first kid I was young and I went to the hospital and got the epidural and everything else, did the whole regular thing. And I remember being so fucking fixated on escaping that pain that the pain was overwhelming and unbelievably terrible because I just wanted to escape it. I was trying to run. I was screaming, everything else. And then I remember watching a scene from a some some type of show where the woman just said the nurse told the woman stop screaming stop letting that energy out that way use that energy and I, that really resonated with me and then the tooth pain thing I felt like I can do this I don't need drugs I don't need to escape also I hate being told what to do so that's my biggest reason for having kids at home and that experience with uh and my kids are gigantic 10 pound babies so my experience with having uh, baby at home, same thing, just facing face on me in the pain. The second you try to run, that you try to recoil, it just kills you. It just fucking takes over. And so there is a moment where they call like the wall where you're like, I can't, I cannot do this. And I was all right with the pain, but then I threw up through a bunch of it, which just lowered my resolve. And uh, I I came to a point where I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. And then uh, I closed my eyes and then just got to the point where I was like, I can, I can do this. I can do this and got through it. And this is how I deal with everything emotional. I don't, I don't, I don't try like trauma and everything. I don't try to escape it. I don't try to run from it. It's you say something that triggers me. And the only thing example I can really think of is jealousy, you know, uh, right now in my life, the anxiety, the anxiety weekends. I, uh, did, I guess a couple times try to make plans to get out of that. But in the end, the solution to the anxiety weekends were the moment that I stopped trying to run from it, stopped trying to get someone to get me out of it and just stood in that fucking room and was like, what? You're not real. And face that trauma and face that pain and push through it so that is my that is how i deal with things that hurt me i just go straight into them i uh, we go back to safe spaces yeah um because i think well first i guess let's acknowledge uh we're both pretty privileged people you know and we uh live in a in a society in a culture that generally caters to us that's true and makes us feel safe so like I think 
I think safe spaces, I agree with what you said, where like it's good to make other people feel safe. I think that it's good to acknowledge that this world doesn't feel as safe to everyone as it does to you. And that it feels hostile, straight up hostile to other people. And it's nice to have a, a spot where people can uh, feel free to live and not feel like uh, people hate them or that they're that they are being attacked or whatever like that idea of a safe space we're like here we're not going to say anything about uh people's race religion blah 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 like like in 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 theory and practice or well in theory but maybe not in practice uh it sounds it's it's about purpose what's the objective what are you doing here right um and like are you are you finding a better way to live or are you running and hiding? Uh, you know, uh, like, uh, I I think that, well, I don't know. Also, maybe, because I, I think about this mostly in terms of uh, comedy, but also in terms of debate. Like, I think that there's a problem if, here's the thing. Safe spaces generally in today are, uh, taking place at universities. I think that's what universities is what comes to mind uh, for a lot of people, at least for me, uh, when I think of safe spaces. Uh, someone at BYU just gave a really cool talk about like, let's make BYU safe, safer. Like this is a, yeah. an old white, uh, very Mormon dude uh, talked about uh, safe spaces at BYU. It was actually really great because BYU is a place I feel like uh, a lot of people don't feel safe and they feel stuck there. You know, I think that's good. But, uh, I wish that we could make all of society safe and leave universities to be dangerous because I think that if there's a place where uh, I want to have free exchange of ideas, it's at a university. I want people to be confronted by uh, Ben Shapiro. Like I want people to to like uh, to have to sit and listen to someone that they disagree with, right? And I think that it's a mistake to be like uh, the. This guy, you know, like we, 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 sh- he shouldn't be allowed to say anything because he uh, makes people feel unsafe. I feel like we need places that are unsafe that, uh, because that's where an exchange of ideas will happen and that's where people will be changed and that's where people will be challenged and we need uh, to be challenged again. I'm a I'm a I'm a white a straight white dude. Maybe I need to be like less safe, right? Like maybe I need places that are less safe, and maybe there are other people with different life experiences who experience America incredibly differently than I do. That like or like I already live in an unsafe place, you know. Like I'm already constantly challenged. Uh, yeah. Everywhere I go, I w- I'm trying to find one place where I can just breathe, you know. And I think that that's that's a a, a big disconnect in that in that debate uh, over whether or not we should have safe spaces. But like, aside from uh, other than universities, whatever, comedy is the is the place that I care about the most. And I just don't think comedy needs to be safe. If you want to make your comedy safe, go go for it. But it's just not the kind of comedy that I'm interested in. I am interested in being uh, challenged. I am interested in uh, touching on trauma. I am interested in healing. I don't think that there's any healing, any catharsis without some pain. You know, I I think that there are jokes that hurt. 
but because they hurt it it makes people go wait why did that hurt and the, the you know it's and the, and it's those jokes that hurt that make people think differently about it afterwards right. and that's that's the that's my goal that's what i want and if you there's certainly a place for um benign humor that's just that just uplifts there's certainly a place for humor that's just straight up funny doesn't make anyone feel uncomfortable and there's a lot of that in the world and i think that that's great but i uh get scared when uh people are talking about like what you can and cannot joke about and what you can and can't say. Yeah. I just, I think that, that, uh, young liberal audiences are being trained to listen to certain words. And when those, they hear those catchphrases, they immediately are shut down. They are immediately offended. They're immediate. And they don't, they don't listen to the joke. They don't hear the true message of the joke. They don't hear yeah, the context a lot of, times of the content. They're offended by satire. And it, yeah, and you, yeah, exactly. You're just like, all right, well, the uh, joke it, is on your side. Uh huh. The joke it's, is, the proving, joke your is proving your point, right? Um, and that's that. That is a symptom of safe spaces, yeah. right? Which where where then I'm like, okay, well, then that space is no longer serving the purpose that you set it up for. Like the idea of safe space is uh to make things better i just i like the idea of creating a space for other people to feel safe i don't like i don't like the idea of it is is the safe space is for me so that i don't have to feel man i like it as a like it's 2018 stop making jokes about things that aren't your own life experience you know what i mean stop mm-hmm. punching down uh stop trying to do edgy fucking race jokes don't make don't stop. make fucking jokes about bruce jenner yeah when you're, you have no idea uh what uh a trans person's life is like like for safe spaces in, in rooms and comedy rooms i came up at byu which is policed more than probably any other room right. it's di- it's a different feel than say a, a room in seattle that's uh that's like you know run by uh liberals uh and like policed uh that way but it, there's it, this is a very conservative angle of policing you know at, right. at BYU there's all these you can't i mean there's a million words you can't say we uh you know you can't swear you can't there's 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 a bunch of different things um but we were always in fear of being shut down we felt like any anyone could complain and then BYU would just shut down our stand-up club, which meant so much to us. So we had to police it ourselves and make sure we weren't doing anything. But we took it really seriously. And I, I there was this comic that came and uh, didn't respect our rules and then was a real prick about it. And he told this joke about lesbians. And we were like, nah, you can't, you can't do that. And then he was just like, oh, 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 oh BYU is so, oh, this is so funny. That's so, you guys can't even acknowledge that lesbians exist here. Oh, oh you can't, you can't even do that. And they were like, I, you don't, you don't get it. You don't get it. Maybe someone at the top of BYU, maybe someone at administrate like do, didn't want lesbians to be mentioned or whatever. But like we are at the ground level working this, and that's not what we were doing. We, they, like we knew lesbians existed. 
they exist on this campus. They exist in this room. And it's not easy to be queer at BYU. It is tough. And it's already so institutionally hard. Uh, There's so much pressure everywhere. So many messages everywhere that say that you're bad, that you're wrong, that you're evil. The last thing these people need is some straight white dude's hacky take on on how uh, les- lesbos drive Subaru Outbacks. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, no one, no one needs that. Yeah. That's not, who, no who, who's that helping, right? And so, like, that, I feel like uh, that's a great example of, exactly of, a, what of a safe space. Yeah. I, we wanted to make things safe for, for our friends. You make safe, you create an environment, a safe environment for someone else. You, as a straight white male, police the other straight white males that haven't figured out that they're living in the year 2018 yet. I love that. Yeah. But if, if uh, someone was telling a joke that made the, the, the point of that joke was to get people to understand uh, uh, the queer struggle, you know, yeah. or make people think differently about the things that they say. And we stopped them from saying that, that I would, uh, I would have a problem with, yeah. you know, like if we were like, no, you can't acknowledge the existence of lesbians. You can't acknowledge uh, that. You don't can't make acknowledge... straight people feel un. Cause that joke makes, uh, there's a difference between making straight people feel uncomfortable and, uh, about, about lesbians and making lesbians feel uncomfortable about themselves. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. No, it's just it's just it's, uh, uh, besides the gross. fact that it's hack mm-hmm. as fuck uh it's just like th- th- that era is over but Find, there are talk problems, about your own fucking shit there are problems where gay queer comedians are getting in trouble at colleges for talking beca- about their own for talking, shit yeah that's what it, that's i guess that's my issue with safe spaces because if, if uh and this might not be true with all of them, but it's getting to the point where I see people not talking about their own weight loss because it's triggering to other people. And I think like, uh, look, if you, uh, and I'm saying this as someone who does not have skinny people privilege. This is someone who struggled with, uh, binge eating and, uh, I've been way overweight multiple times in my life. It was a major constant theme in my life. My weight, most of my life, I would say I've maintained a weight that's uh, healthy, but not healthy on any fucking chart uh, for the last year. I learned to accept myself. I learned to accept myself. I learned to stop running this tape of losing weight. I think a lot of the reason that I maintain a weight now is because I, I stopped thinking about losing weight. You know, I stopped thinking. It's the same thing as like focusing on uh, saying things like I can't afford it is you're just you're 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 reinforcing this idea you're focusing on the wrong that thing. it's a that the it's a it's not it's an abundant universe and you're having limiting thoughts and so I think by obsessing constantly on my weight I was reinforcing this idea that this is an issue rather than a healthy weight is inevitable so now I eat food according to how I'm going to feel afterwards F- food is fuel and how's this going to make me feel and I stop worrying about what I look like. And my body followed suit, but I think that hiding from getting triggered by other people's, who gives a fuck, you know, and you have to get to that point where you're like, who gives a fuck? And you get to that point 
not by hiding from it, not by trying to make the entire world stop having conversations about their own experiences and just find a way to reconcile your experience. Either accept your body or change it. I recommend accept your by both, you know. I I am I don't like being overweight cuz I don't like having to tie my shoes on the side. Like I don't like it's it's fucking hard. It's hard to have I'm technically still overweight, but I'm I'm a I'm, I'm a weight I can manage. But I don't like being uh, obese because it's fucking hard. It's physically hard. I think that there's there's just a balance that we need to find. And like an, uh, I always say, change is a pendulum and it swings back. Uh, but like overcorrect sometimes, you right. know, before we find that golden mean. And I think that we lived in a world... Uh, for a very long time, or all of human history, that catered to one type of person, the person in power, right. and everyone else can exactly. suck it. And we've gotten to a, a, a wonderful point in history where we're caring about the little guy, and we have empathy. Right. Uh, but there's this balance between empathy and entitlement, where like I think it's good that we're looking out for other people and being like, hey, how does that make them feel? Maybe right. just because I'm fine with it doesn't mean they're fine with it. And maybe we should think about them. Uh, but the entitlement part that I think we've overcorrected to is just the idea. And I think that it's mostly white liberal people that uh, are like, I should never have to be confronted by yeah. something that makes me feel bad. You yeah. know, and that's that's the idea that like. I, I know why it's happening at universities, like why that's the center point for safe spaces, but it's it's also it's it's just sadly ironic because it's the the place where like in in I think it's the best sense universities yeah. is where you should go to challenge uh, yourself and yeah. challenge other people and have meetings of the mind and debates on different philosophy and be able to uh, listen to, to people's opinions and then discount them if you want to and tell them why they're so fucking wrong if you want to. Uh, but uh, I think that it's a mistake to close yourself off. Just like being raised Mormon, I closed myself off to so many different points of view. Just never gave them any, any of my time. Never listened to it. If I did, it was just like pretend. I right. was never really considering it, you know? And I lost out on so much growth and so many opportunities to learn things from other people that, I, I don't know, I wish that, like, that's just something now that I think about a lot where I'm like, I want... To be good. There's people that I keep in my timeline who I hate because I need to hear those other opinions. They're right. they're so dumb most of the time. But like like I, know, I have a few conservative people or you know that just for the most part, God, I hate every time they pop up. But every now and then they have a take that me and my liberal viewpoint and in all my biases I never considered and I went oh oh I was wrong like there's stuff to learn from other people yeah you just have to keep listening to them if you build an echo chamber for yourself it's safe in there but just like uh everything I hate about like Utah Mormons it, it an echo chamber is incestuous like you just uh, swap the same shit back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until it's a grotesque ugly monster and what have you done to yourself right you're not growing 
You're stuck. You're you're mutating. You're not growing. You're 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 developing weird cancer-like uh, <laughs> growths that are just uh, mutating into something disgusting. Rather than if you had just confronted things that made you uncomfortable, and 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 took them at face value, considered them, made choices for yourself, for yourself, you, for yourself. You would be a healthier, stronger person. Yeah. And maybe I am just speaking to straight white dudes. <laughs> maybe we're the ones well, that I, need I it the most. I think definitely you know? I, what my original and why I like I split that up is because originally, uh, oh, comedy shows where nobody can make like idiots can't make racist jokes or rape jokes or fucking uh, yeah. trans jokes. Yeah. Amazing. I like that. And I thought. Uh, this is creating a space where people can fucking learn to stop punching down. But then all of a sudden it turned into, oh, we turn your mic off if you trigger anyone in the room. And then I'm like, uh, you can't. I got. I have personally been confronted after a show by someone who found it offensive that I used to talk about. You know, the eating, the binge eating, that's the only the only experience with addiction that I've ever had where I felt out of control where I felt like I was doing something against my will, where I felt like where I felt the shame cycle and everything else. I quit smoking cigarettes on my first try. I quit doing drugs. Uh, cause I got bored. The only thing I've ever experienced was this binge eating and the consequences of that. And I used to have good material about that, uh, dark experience, but because I would back then yo-yo diet, cause I would just, I would just not eat carbs. I would just be eating like pounds of hamburger every day to be thin. And thin once again, uh, is like a buck 80 for me. And then I had a woman come up to me afterwards and was like, no one wants to listen to a thin woman talk about, uh, her weight. And I was like, it's my, uh, experience. And just cause I'm thin today, catch me in a week and a half and I will gain <laughs> it back. And uh, then I've had conversations with people or it's like, well, it's triggering to me. And I'm like, yeah, you should enjoy being triggered. I'm not saying be triggered so you can go lose weight, but get desensitized to the things. As long as you haven't desensitized yourself to things that you are afraid of. And we'll talk about this more. Uh, the one thing that I ran from my entire life was rejection. And I didn't, it was a mechanism I developed as a kid that I didn't put much thought into. It just, I had a way of doing things that made it fucking impossible to reject me. It made it impossible. I never directly asked for anything. I talked in a way that made people give me the things that I wanted. I wasn't vulnerable in relationships. And I never really, it didn't until this year, get in my way. Uh, like the last two years, mm -hmm. I started to tune into it and started to actively be direct and open myself up to rejection. And then I just kept, I started getting rejected. And then I uh, was like, okay, well, this is awkward, but this is what I've been afraid of this whole time. And I'm alive. If I would hear people tell stories about uh, putting themselves out there to men. Uh, why aren't you calling me? Why you said we were going to hang out? I will put a fucking gun in my mouth before I will say, I thought you were going to, I can be thinking it. Uh, I could be dying inside because I feel rejected, but I would never, ever, ever fucking say that to somebody fucking give you the power to say, cause I didn't want to hang out with you. 
I would never say that. And so I would, I would, I would talk to women who would be like, well, and then I was like, well, um, I thought you wanted to hang out with me. And it's like, oh, well, if he wanted to go play video games rather than hang out with me, uh, that's triggering. But, uh, I'm never going to fucking say that. Cause I would, I would, for a long time, it was like, I wouldn't ask my boss for a day off unless I was positive that he would say yes. Because the idea of me saying, can I have a day off? And him saying no. That him saying... You're like, oh shit, now I have to quit this job. I'm going to die. I It really felt like I would be like, why... Because Jason, uh, my husband, was so fucking direct. That he's like, just ask for it, Jessa. And I'm like, no. Because he could say no. And I would... I, and he's like, so what? He says no, it just rolls off your back. And I was like, no, I would die. It would be so humiliating. So fucking humiliating to have that happen in that moment that I would never want to interact with that person again. And I know that this comes from my childhood and that in my childhood, I uh, I got varying reactions from my mom and couldn't just got to the point where I never wanted to ask for anything. And so I can't think if uh, relationships contributed to it. I don't think so. I think I was already like that. And so I did a bunch of like just ingrained manipulation and I wanted to I wanted to stop having my needs met indirectly. I do think there there are places for indirect communication, but so this whole last like couple years I just started directly asking for stuff and and uh I like I've been more vulnerable with you than anyone else ever and uh that hasn't always worked out. And then I remember the first couple times that you said like that I perceived rejection and I was like, uh, yeah, that's just fucking kind of awkward. You know, I thought I was going to die. I thought I was literally going to die is what it feels like that that anxiety. And so then it got to the point where now I'm so fucking bold in work stuff now. It's crazy. Like I used to use like I just message people like, hi. Uh, you don't know me. I don't know you, but like, can I do your podcast? Like, I'm just, uh, I'm, I would never have done that two years ago. I because you were afraid they would say no. I would never give someone the opportunity to read that message and not reply to it because I would die. I would fucking die is how I felt. But I just, now it's everything. If I'm afraid of this, I fucking run into it and work it out. Work it out while I'm doing it. I'll fucking figure it out. Like I, uh, and I, my life has benefited so much so much by not running from pain yeah i think everybody can you do the thing that you're scared of doing uh wait what movie is that it's joe versus the volcano you know how much joe versus the volcano meant to me in high school <laughs> i would watch it all the time when i was sad if you're not uh aware it's tom hanks and meg ryan the first movie that they star in together and meg ryan plays three different roles in it and and tom is excuse me tom is joe a man who uh is super depressed and has an awful life until he gets diagnosed with an inoperable uh uh Oh shit! What is it called? It's like a brain shadow. It's like some sort of uh, some sort of uh, made up brain cancer. He's gonna die, and it changes his life. And at one point, he is talking to one of the Meg Ryan's, who uh, confesses that she thinks about killing herself. And uh, he says, "If you had a choice between doing the thing that you're scared of doing or killing yourself." Why wouldn't you just do the thing that you're scared of doing? And uh, 
uh, there's all these little gems in that movie that stuck with me that uh, helped me out so much. And I haven't watched that movie in years. I want to rewatch it someday. But yeah, if you've got the choice, why wouldn't you just do the thing that's scary and find out if it kills you? But if it doesn't kill you, then you're then you're set. I was but gonna... then you have conquered this gigantic hindrance to your success if you face it and you win, which nine times out of ten you're going to fucking win. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to realize that losing is not that big of a deal. I think I was, uh, I think I had a feel- fear of failure. I used to just never finish stuff. Like I would start things and then I, 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 it felt like I just didn't know what the next step would be. But I would be relieved to have figured out something else to do. Uh, so I started a lot of businesses and, and uh, once things weren't instantly easy, I would move on to a different thing. And I think I had a fear of failure. And in 2014, when I decided to just go after comedy and I was going to figure out how to get my own TV credit while living in Delaware and everyone's like, you, that's not a thing that you can do. I went out and tried several things and failed and kept going. And I don't think I've ever done that before. Interesting what you said about childbirth. You use that as an example um, because there is only one thing that I remember from this biology class I took at BYU and it was... Like our, our, our bodies, the human body is about equilibrium. It's always trying to regulate itself to keep an equilibrium. And there, I remember learning about two different kinds of processes in the body. There's positive and negative feedback loops, which were ways that the body um, reacts to different stimuli. In a neg- most of our uh, systems are on a negative feedback loop, which means um, if there is a... a Something, uh, a stimulus in the body triggers an opposite reaction, right? So if there's something in the plus column, then something in the negative column uh, happens as a reaction, as a way to get back to zero, right? Like, uh, Like right now I'm sunburnt and so my body is like uh, overheated and so I have chills. Oh, okay. Like I've got chills going on right now and that's that's an, uh, an equal and opposite reaction to try to bring my body back to equilibrium, gotcha. right? And most most of our, our body systems operate uh, on that, which they call negative. And I think that there's more than just childbirth, but I, the only example that I could ever remember of a positive feedback loop is childbirth because uh, that is where, like, if something uh, gets triggered – Rather than a negative, instead of triggering an opposite reaction, it just triggers more of the same. So a contraction happens and it triggers another contraction, which triggers another even worse contraction, which triggers another. And it keeps going like that column that that plus the positive column just keeps getting higher and higher and higher until it's done. That's the only way to get the baby out. There's no like uh balancing that out it's just going to get worse and worse and worse until it's done and that's the only way that I that, like that. that I, it's going to happen yeah and so like if we uh, get the only way to get out of it is through it yes exactly which is my uh that's one of the reasons that childbirth is uh a metaphor for pain that I like is that when you are faced with something you're afraid of or something that has hurt you or something that is in your way of accomplishing what you want, the only way 
is through it. You just go through it, get to the other side of it. And, uh, that is very much like, there's no halfway through childbirth. You're like, I'm would like to be done with this. I would like to turn back now, but you can't, you got to go through it. That's why I'm fascinated with childbirth. This is a tangent, but I just, I mean, uh, I'll never get to experience that. And it just, I'm, I am so fascinated by it. I've never felt more powerful. There's yeah, something that's the thing that I'm I like, that never, sounds so cool. When I say, like, uh, like I want more kids, but, like, what I have to sacrifice to have more kids because it, because of the sickness and because of the depression, it's like, well, I have to just, like, take two years off of my life. But the the childbirth part, all day long. Mm-hmm. I would... I, there's nothing... It's so Just that empowering. idea of conquering... Yeah, conquering yeah. death, where you're like, I'm gonna die. This is it. This yep. is the last because I've, I've, I've I talked to a lot of women about childbirth because I uh, and I like hearing their experiences and I I've, it's a common thread is people just being like I have nothing left to give. This is it. This is where I die. Yep. I can't push anymore. This baby's never going to come out. Uh, like to be to and like athletes talk about hitting the wall and then pushing yep. through it. You know. Uh, and uh, all all mothers have experienced that wall. Yep. Yeah, I think do. Do the things that you're scared of doing. Do confront the things that that scare you the most. Don't run from it. And uh, yeah, it's just this is Aaron and Jessa, Mormon and the Meth Head, saying, "Do what scares you." And especially if what scares you is uh, joining our Patreon, then I think. <laughs> If that's been if that's been scaring you this whole time, I think you should do it. We'll catch you guys next week on Mormon and the Meth Head. If you put a Mormon and a Meth Head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron would all just so read our friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. Show.